Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Hi there, welcome. It's Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva, and you are tuned in and listening to Canning with the Diva. I am so excited to be back here again talking about, of course, all things food and preservation and gardening. So today's segment, I am very stoked to switch away from canning a little bit and talk about a food preservation known as dehydration. Um, dehydrating foods, or also known as drying foods, is a vital uh, vital key to your overall food arsenal, your supplies. Uh, again, you know, using using a variety of food preservation methods to give you a well-rounded arsenal of supplies in the event of a disaster. So, I look at dehydrating food as being, you know, it's about being prepared. Uh, when you dehydrate foods, you are able to maximize the shelf life of many products, thus preparing yourself and your family in the event of a disaster. So. Super excited to bring this segment to you today. It's near and dear to my heart, and I'm often dehydrating right alongside canning and cooking and all other things taking place in my kitchen. So let's get started. Now, dehydrating has been a food preservation practice for thousands of years, and it dates back to at least 12,000 BC. Uh, the Romans and Middle Easterns would dry fruits and vegetables in what they called still houses which they would use a, a fire to dry out and smoke the foods. So now obviously modern day dehydration isn't that complex. You know, we use a lot of different machines that actually take those still house concepts and now put it into a small unit we can put on our kitchen counter. So we're still, you know, using that concept of hot air and uh, circulating that air, drying it out, and basically the machines nowadays, that's what they do. They circulate hot and dry air across the food. And in doing so, this removes much of the water, and the moist air is then dried so that the water continues to be removed. It's like a cycle. Um, the temperatures are high enough to remove the water, but not high enough to cook the food. So we don't, we're not smoking it per se when we're using a dehydrator machine. Um, we are, you know, dehydrating the foods and we're withering them, getting them to get a bit harder, removing all that moisture so they can now be stored for the, the long term. And the reason I, I believe this is so important to all of us to begin incorporating into our preservation and our maybe our, our food supply for emergency or for disaster preparedness is because, you know, if there was a natural or human-caused disaster uh, within your community, you might not have access to food, water, and electricity for a while. So taking steps to store emergency food and water supplies along with, you know, disaster supply kits and so on, you can reduce the effect of a disaster on your family. And that's why I'm a, probably a huge advocate more so for home canning because it's a ready-made food source. You don't have to rely on water or heat. You can eat it right from the jar. But you do need a well-rounded supply 
of a various amount of foods and that's where dehydration comes in. Not to mention, um, you need to have a nutritional value. So, you know, most importantly, you should have enough food and water on hand to survive a minimum of about two weeks in the event of a disaster. Um, it's often suggested that you store foods that you eat regularly and then store the foods that require no refrigeration, preparation, or cooking. Now, with dehydration, you are going to have to have some preparation and, of course, some cooking. But, again, it's your second tier level of food sources to have on hand in the event of a disaster, canning probably being number one. Um, it's also important, I just need to throw this in there, that during a disaster, um, you, you have to stay healthy. So when you're creating these uh, food sources and supplies for your family, make it a point to also keep vitamin and mineral as well as protein supplements on hand to ensure you're receiving the proper nutrition, especially if you start getting down in your supplies. Let's say, unfortunately, the disaster or the emergency lasts longer than two weeks. Um, you're going into month two or something. Uh, you definitely want to make sure that your nutritional value stays high. So think of ways in which to incorporate a variety of preserved foods as well as supplements so that way you can stay in optimal condition. Uh, so that way you get through that disaster uh, less, less scathed, if you will. All right, so the benefits of utilizing dehydrated foods are, are huge. There's, uh, there's five main uh, benefits I definitely want to focus on in today's segment. And number one being the nutritional value is still pretty high. Uh, when you cook something, so for instance in home canning, we're going to bring things to boiling temperature and then we're going to process them in either a water bather or a pressure canner, those high temperatures start killing off some of the nutritional value and minerals and vitamins that we desperately need in order to stay healthy uh, whether we're eating it on an everyday basis or we are facing a disaster. So uh, one of the benefits and probably the biggest with dehydrating food is your nutritional value is still high. So you're upwards in the 90 percentile, 80 to 90 percentile of the nutritional value. Whereas home canning in that first year of then, you know, the item staying on your shelf, you're looking at roughly 65 to 70 percent nutritional value. When you store something into that second year with a home canned good, it drops down to about 60%. Year three, it's 50 or less. Well, with the dehydrated goods, you can stay upwards above 70% into that year three that you might not already get or longer uh, that you won't get with, for instance, home canned goods. Second biggest benefit I find uh, with, with dehydrating is you're reducing the spoilage because you're removing the moisture and that's the moisture is what the bacteria needs to feed off of. Um, things have to have a moisture content in order for them to spoil. So in the uh, absence of moisture, your, your spoilage reduces greatly. You also now have an increased food storage life. So your storage life far exceeds that of home canned goods. Now just because a lid stayed sealed doesn't mean that the item is good 10 years down the road. Whereas with proper storage for dehydrated items, you can be looking at 10 to 15 years of a, of a storage life. The fourth biggest benefit is it requires little or no specialized storage requ you know, requirements. I think I said that twice. <laughs> so you don't need any special equipment per se. With home canning, you obviously have to have a certain type of jar, lid and ring. You have to make sure that you have water bathers and pressure canners. 
The only equipment that you're required to have is a dehydrator and it doesn't even have to be an electric one. There are other methods using uh, the natural air temperature, the sunlight, and then air current and flow through either wind or fan. So there are ways that you can still accomplish the same um, preservation uh, method without having to go out and buy a bunch of special equipment. And then the storage equipment used can be very simple. It doesn't have to be specialized. And then last but definitely not least, uh, the biggest benefit of utilizing dehydrated food items is the reduced weight. Now, the, it makes food a lot easier to transport because it's not heavy. So if you have to bug out and get out and still survive, the weight of that dehydrated food and the volume uh, ratios, you know, it, it's so much easier. Um, things get very condensed down into size once you remove the moisture. So not only does it become lighter weight, it becomes more compact so you can actually fit more into a smaller area. Now with dehydrating, some of the basics I wanted to share with you today are the things that you do want to have on hand. Some of the essentials so that you can properly task out and get all of your items dehydrated, whether it be herbs, meats, or fruits and vegetables. And then some of the optional but healthful equipment, which is really important, I think, uh, for me, especially because I want to maximize and be efficient with my time and make it easier for the dehydration process to take, to take place. I want to be able to get everything dried, uniform, and in the most optimal amount of time. And so some of the equipment that we have on hand I'll discuss in today's segment. And, and then also I want to get into the basics of why we're able to do what we do with food dehydration. There's four key factors to properly dehydrating food. And let's touch on those first before we get into the equipment. The four key factors to proper food dehydration are time, temperature, air speed, also known as velocity, and then raw food preparation. So let's start with raw food preparation. The basic of getting food properly dehydrated in a uh, matter of time that's conducive to lessen the spoiling, it, it all breaks down to the, the preparation of the food. How are you treating the food? Are you blanching it? Are you uh, pre-shrinking it? Are you uh, maybe dipping it in a citric acid bath to prevent it from browning? Um, there's a lot of things that need to be done for a variety of different foods uh, and that all steps with, starts with the preparation. Um, a lot of your vegetables, it's, it's very, very important to um, go ahead and blanch or pre-cook them before drying. Uh, blanching and cooking tenderizes the cells and deactivates the enzymes, which improves the quality of the dried product. So it makes the vegetables more palatable once they are rehydrated. So that's huge, and, and without knowing these types of things, you could spend a lot of time, energy, and, and money uh, trying to dehydrate something. If you don't prepare it properly, it's actually counterintuitive, and you wind up spoiling the food during the dehydration process. So um, the keys are to knowing what needs to be done preparation-wise for each particular food item that you are actually going to dehydrate. So I suggest to you as part of this segment to go out and find a very good resource. Now there's a lot of resources online 
um, our government actually uh, the CDC has some uh, preparedness information with respect to dehydrating my website at canningdiva.com has several recipes and tips and tricks to do um, to utilize to make you know dehydrating much more efficient and then I suggest going out and I'm not a, I, I don't get paid to say this um, it's just something that has been a real asset to me um, that there's a book called the dehydrator Bible and that is by Jennifer McKenzie Jay Nutt and Don Mercer the three of these individuals got together and put together over 400 recipes uh, utilizing dehydrated foods. So they spend the first part of that book talking to you about, you know, different different dehydrator recipes that, you know, basically saying at what temperature, for how long of time, with what preparation in mind do you need in order to properly dehydrate the various food groups. But then they spend the rest of the book giving you a variety of ways in which to utilize those dehydrated goods because it's excellent to have them on hand in the event of a disaster or an emergency or as an added you know pantry item but if you don't know how to cook with them and how to prepare them so that they are palatable and edible you kind of defeat the purpose so I got I've got to give these three individuals a lot of credit um, for creating what's called the dehydrator Bible because there is a lot of good information in there that many of you would benefit from so I am definitely a resource to you but please reach out to tried and true resources as well, such as myself, so that you can have a well-rounded experience utilizing this food preservation method. Okay, so to talk about now some of the um, essential equipments is going to give you that added value, give you a, 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 the tools you need to have an optimal dehydrating experience or drying experience. But before we dive into that, we're going to take a small break, hear a word from our sponsors, and when we get back, I'm going to dive into those essential equipment pieces that are going to make your life a lot easier when it comes to dehydrating. We'll be right back. Right, and we're back. This is Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva, and you are listening in to Canning with the Diva. We are talking about dehydrating basics today, and we are excited to now focus on what are the essential equipment or essential items that you should have on hand if you're going to dehydrate and properly store the dehydrated goods. And then I'm going to also talk about some of optional items that are helpful during this process, but they aren't necessarily essential. Okay, so some of the essential things you want to make sure that you have either in your kitchen already or that you go out and put on your grocery list to purchase are things such as airtight containers. Now those can be in the form of plastic containers with the airtight lids. They can be mason jars with brand new lids and rings. You could also then um, consider using one of the... Um, baggy systems, the food savers, if you will, where they remove the excess air and now you have an airtight plastic bag, if you will. Um, you could also use things such as Ziploc bags. There are ways to still utilize them in uh, the storage process. You don't get near the length of time, but they are still considered an airtight container. So uh, definitely have a well-rounded um, 
uh, use of, of the various containers out there. Go ahead, if you don't have plastic, maybe invest in a little bit. Uh, mason jars, if you don't have those on hand, invest into those. And obviously making sure you have brand new lids and rings. Those lids, even if you're using them for storage, are one-time use. The goal is to get that lid to seal and uh, that, that rubber compound is a one-time use. Now the other essential tool would be a blanching basket or a colander for checking the foods and we'll get into that here in a little bit. You also want to make sure that your dehydrator comes equipped with fresh, or excuse me, fine mesh trays. Boy, all these words, I, I feel like I need to like do one of those rhymes where Peter Piper picked a peck of peppers in order to get some of these terms out. <laughs> but a fine mesh tray liner. Uh, that's huge because most of your dehydrators are going to have a standard bottom that's um, obviously open so that air currents can flow, but the openings are quite large. So if you're going to dehydrate smaller items, you definitely need to have a fine opening so that things don't fall through. So a fine mesh tray, most of your uh, dehydrators on the market should come with one. Uh, if they don't, it's definitely worth the investment because if you don't have a fine mesh tray, you're limited now to the size of the item in which you can dehydrate. You also want to make sure you have parchment paper. Uh, if you don't have the specialized leather sheets that come with certain dehydrators, parchment paper works phenomenal if you'd like to create fruit, fruit leathers. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, and, and add that to your grocery list and keep that on hand when you're, when you're getting ready to dehydrate. Now, some of the other items that I consider um, essential would be your standard kitchen equipment. So things like um, the colander, um, maybe even you know having some sharp knives on hand, a ruler, obviously a, a timer if your dehydrator does not come equipped with a timer. You definitely want to have a timer on hand. Um, and things like vegetable peelers. Um, there's a lot of times where peeling the food during preparation makes it much easier to dehydrate. Uh, oftentimes you'll see in recipes where they call for a Y-shaped peeler over a traditional straight edge peeler because they tend to remove thinner peelings making it easier for you to dehydrate large amounts of, of produce or root crops. Okay. Now some of the optional but helpful items to have on hand are things like um, obviously a food processor, an electric one. There are other methods out there, so your electric one does become an, an optional equipment piece. Um, there are um, areas uh, on the internet I have noticed uh, people are taking and going back to the older methods of dehydrating because they don't want to rely on electricity. So what they have done is they've purchased the fine mesh trays that all hang about three inches apart. And you've got, I believe, roughly four to five trays. And they're encased in a fine mesh screen, like what you would almost, instead of using the metal, but maybe more of the plastic uh, screen door or screen window, that it's kind of draped with that, with almost like a, a closing front that is either mag magnetic or has a Velcro so that way no insects can get in. And so there's a lot of methods out there for dehydrating. Um, obviously, you know, you have to do what's right for you. And for me personally, I love having the um, electric one. It comes with a temperature uh, regulator as well as um, an on and off button so that I can kind of control and regulate 
what is taking place with that particular dehydrator. However, I've also taken the liberty to invest in a non-electric dehydrator because, again, in the event of a disaster, a power outage, and you are still in the midst of dehydrating items, um, you definitely want to be able to do so without having electricity. So I definitely uh, suggest you considering both of those options. Another uh, thing that my family you know, did back in the day and still continues to do is drying and hanging herbs, uh, utilizing um, either wire hangers or some type of method so it's high up, and um, utilizing cheesecloth to protect those items from insects, and then obviously relying on sunlight, air temperature, and air current to get the job done. Another optional a piece of equipment would be a jerky gun or a mandolin, um, a grater, a salad spinner. Those are all really cool tools to have on hand in the kitchen to make your preparation much quicker. So for instance, a mandolin is that handheld um, cutting agent so that you don't have to use a knife per se. Um, a grater is going to obviously get things on a much smaller level. So for instance, I use a grater when I'm doing my orange and lemon zest. Um, that grater will give me the perfect size pieces that I can then spread out on a fine mesh tray. Uh, the salad spinner is an awesome tool if you're doing large quantities of things that you don't um, want to you know, use up a whole roll of, of paper towel to dry. Um, you throw something in a salad spinner, give it a few spins, and it literally whisks the water away from the food source, making it optimal for putting on those fine mesh trays. But again, it's, it's an optional piece of equipment. It's not mandatory, but if you happen to have one in your kitchen, definitely get it out when you are getting ready to dehydrate. It'll make your life a lot easier. And then a jerky gun. You know, there's been times I've made jerky by hand and patting it into the thickness that I choose using a ruler to measure to make sure it's not too thick and that it's uniform in size. Um, but then, you know, I did invest in a jerky gun because I didn't want everything to have to be flat. Um, there are times I've wanted it to be square or round, giving, giving you know, what it is I'm, I'm making with, the, with jerky so, or with meat. So, uh, again, an awesome piece of equipment, but not mandatory. All right, so now how the biggest thing I want to touch on today is how do you know when the foods are properly dehydrated. I think I get asked this at least several times a month because that becomes the tricky part. We all know that in dehydrating, if you do not remove the moisture, you then will have spoilage. So it's so key to know when your food is ready to be removed from that dehydrator and placed into storage. And just because certain foods say, oh, let's say for instance, basil, if you're dehydrating an herb, you basically dehydrate the basil leaves on the mesh trays at 110 degrees for roughly 16 to 18 hours. Now, obviously, if you're dehydrating something during, you know, the night and you're sleeping, definitely don't set your timer and try and wake up every hour. That would be ridiculous. But when you get back into that kitchen, swap out those trays, test each, touch a piece of food from each tray and move that tray closest to the heat and the air current, which would be the bottom, move it so that way you can start tending to those pieces that are still just a touch moist. The rule of thumb with dehydrating is it is better to be over dry than under dry. 
under drying obviously will lead to spoilage because the you know the bacteria will rot the food all right over dry isn't optimal but it is much better to err on the side of over dry than under dry the reason why being over dry isn't optimal is because now it's going to take that much longer to properly rehydrate and you often will run into the risk of it not fully rehydrating and still having those rough edges that are difficult for our system to digest. So you, you definitely want to, you know, in the beginning, trust me, it's going to be a process. It really is. Especially every dehydrator is just a little bit different. They're going to have a little bit of a quirk or a way in which something works better or different. So until you get to know your dehydrator, don't get discouraged. There's, there's no wrong way as long as it's, you know, over dry. But as you start getting more and more used to um, dehydrating, you'll be able to pick up on what worked best and what changes maybe need to be made. The biggest thing I want to leave you with, with making sure your food is dry, is you cannot simply touch the surface of the food to determine if it's completely dry or not. Um, you'll learn to recognize the distinct signs of a food item being dry enough to be removed from the dryer and then packaged and stored. Um, but some products, it gets a little tricky. So take, for instance, apples. Apples, when they're suitably dry and ready to be stored, are firm and leathery. While other products, say, for instance, that orange and lemon zest I was mentioning or the basil leaves, other products like those um, become very brittle. So when you break them, they're not leathery and they don't bend. They actually just snap off and they crumble. So you have to, you got to kind of just you get out there and start experimenting with different recipes and food groups so you can learn the differences. Another thing to, you know, be mindful of when you're out there dehydrating is some fruits that have a higher amount of sugar, when they, de when they get dehydrated and they're ready to be stored, they're still pliable and soft, but they're completely dried. And so it's hard for us to say, oh my gosh, because that has movement and it's flexible and pliable, there's got to be moisture in there. So, you know, we start getting nervous. We'll take, for instance, a grape. A grape will still have that soft, pliable texture to it, but it's completely dry. Okay, for instance, that raisin. You know, you're used to eating raisins, and raisins are still soft and pliable. Um, it, the difference is, when once that grape is dry, it will not feel juicy. Okay, there's a difference between being pliable and being juicy. If it's juicy and you squeeze it and you see moisture, nope, not going to happen. That moisture needs to come out, so you've got to put it back on the tray, set your timer maybe for an additional hour, and then check it again. Okay, so don't get discouraged with dehydrating. Um, again, you have that safety mechanism of things being over dry versus under dry. I encourage you to, like I said, get out there and experiment with a variety of different food groups because um, you definitely don't want to miss out on this wonderful form of food preservation. Okay, another key factor with properly dehydrating is the storage. You have to properly store the dehydrated goods in order to keep them long term. So make sure when you're storing your items that you keep the food in a dry, cool spot out of direct sunlight, just as you would most of your canned goods and other um, you know, dry stored items. The optimal storage temperature should be between 50 and 70 degrees. And exposure to heat and sunlight 
will cause condensation. So you wanna make sure that you're not putting these items in an area where there's a lot of temperature influx and you definitely don't want them full on access to sunlight or repeated access to sunlight because bacteria, um, once there's condensation, that's the moisture we've already removed. Once condensation becomes prevalent again within these stored items, that's all that we need for bacteria to come in and start feeding and therefore spoiling the food. So be mindful of the storage uh, temperature and location of these goods once they're put into a proper container. Now, it's with respect to uh, like the mason jars, utilizing a mason jar with the lid and the uh, ring is perfectly fine. If you have actual glass, the, t the toppers that go on the glass jars, uh, causing an airtight seal, that is also a very good method. Um, I store a lot of my herbs in mason jars and I make sure that they stay in my pantry in obviously a dark area away from sunlight and temperature and fluctuations. Um, I will often utilize food safe moisture and oxygen absorbers to extend the storage life of my food items and to prevent the food from spoiling. So air carries moisture and it's, you gotta be careful. So you wanna make sure that you're removing all of the oxygen because you don't want to rehydrate these foods before it's time. All right, if you, I mentioned earlier, if you're using Ziploc storage bags, for storage because that's what you have on hand and that's what your budget allows. By all means, definitely do so. But I want you to follow these steps so that you can properly remove the air and extend the life of the food that has to stay now in the Ziploc storage bag. All right, number one, fill the Ziploc bag with the dehydrated foods and insert a straw so that it sticks out above the sealing uh, mechanism on that bag. Now, after you've filled it, remove as much air by hand as possible, basically cupping and, and your hands around the food item and pushing that air out, keeping that straw in place. And basically, the next step would be to seal the Ziploc area, that sealing mechanism at the top of the bag, on both sides of the straw. So now you just have the straw sticking out. The sides are sealed, except for that one little area where the straw is sticking out. Now, using your mouth, suck the remaining air out of that bag through that straw. And as you're sucking, slowly but surely start removing that straw from the bag, keeping your hands as close to the sealed area as possible. As soon as that straw is removed, the last step is to quickly use your hands to finish sealing that Ziploc bag. It's kind of like one quick fast motion. So you're sucking the air out, the straw is coming up, 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 and then as soon as the straw is removed, and it makes it past that point, that sealing mechanism, that strip, go ahead and quick seal it and hear that snap. So that way, um, no air really had a chance to get back into that bag. All right. That will help you immensely extend the life of the food that goes into any type of plastic storage bag, okay? If you don't remove the moisture, or excuse me, if you don't remove the air and you simply place your dehydrated goods in Ziploc bags, kind of flatten it out on the counter and seal it, you will wind up decreasing the storage life of that dehydrated good. So keep that in mind. Definitely use the straw method, get out any excess, any excess air, and uh, watch the, the length of those dehydrated goods extend at least by six months to another year. 
All right, last and not least, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I am excited to leave you with probably the second most important item when it comes to dehydrating. It's the process of rehydrating. When you reconstitute your dehydrated foods, you have to be very patient and mindful of what it is that you are rehydrating or reconstituting. Our systems, our human bodies, are not meant to uh, rehydrate as we digest. The goal when we eat is to have foods already in a state that makes it easier for our body to break down and then utilize for fuel and nutrients and what have you. Freeze-dried and dehydrated foods become very sharp-edged for our system. Maybe not to the touch with our fingertips, but for our delicate intestinal system, our stomach, having the, the food not properly rehydrated, especially during a disaster situation, could actually be to our detriment. It could actually cause us some harm. The last thing we want to do is put ourselves in harm way when we're already in the midst of a disaster. Um, what if we don't have access to, to medical supplies or a doctor or antibiotics for that matter? The last thing you want to do is spend all of this time preparing for a disaster only to create a negative situation or a health scare during, you know, survival, uh, during, during, during surviving this disaster. So reconstituting or rehydrating your dehydrated foods is essential to staying healthy, to keeping nutritional value, and to avoiding uh, any unfortunate uh, health issue uh, when you're trying to re re you know, eat these foods uh, for fuel. So let me give you an example. Many dried foods can be eaten in their dried state, such as like banana chips and apple rings. Those items aren't sharp for our system. It's kind of like eating a nut, okay? Because they stayed either in a chip form that'll eventually dissolve, or the apple rings that are pliable and leathery. There's nothing that our system can't break down per se. We're gonna chew it quite well and we're gonna, we're gonna um, allow our stomach acids to do its job and it's gonna obviously get broken down and, and utilized in our body properly. It's the other food items such as potato hash, tomatoes, celery and onions that reconstitute best when soaked in boiling or very hot water for 10 to 12 minutes. Those items, if they're not rehydrated properly, can actually become quite dangerous for our system. And the repeated uh, use or eating you know, of these items is where the danger comes in. So it's not that one-off, okay, oh, I, had, I didn't properly rehydrate my hash browns, I'm gonna now die of some type of internal cutting or what have you. That is not the case. I'm not saying this to freak you out by any means. What I'm saying to you is, be mindful that in the disaster situation, this becomes your ready-made food source. This becomes your sole surviving way of consumption of, of you know, vital nutrients. The last thing you want to do is have repeated uh, consumption of something that's not properly rehydrated. Your body will not be able to handle it. So, rule of thumb, soak it and wait. Do not rush the rehydration process. Again, you want to use either boiling water or very, very hot water, and you want to boil these items for 10 to 12 minutes before cooking them and using them in a meal situation. Other foods 
can be rehydrated by setting in a temperate water um, and, and, and then creating a meal from it or served as is. Uh, those items, you know, are the ones that already still have the pliability to it. Uh, for instance, the, the uh, raisins and the fruit leathers can be consumed as is. The celery, for instance, that you may rehydrate or those, those uh, carrots that you uh, dehydrated and now you want to use it in a meal, those particular vegetables will need to be rehydrated first before uh, adding them to recipes, okay? They don't get back fully to their original state. So that's the other thing I want to make sure I leave you with. When you dehydrate and then rehydrate the food, it's not going to look exactly like a carrot or exactly like a piece of celery again. It's not like an inflatable balloon that you remove all the air and then you press the button and it inflates again and it keeps its circular shape. That's not going to be the case, so don't be alarmed when things don't look exactly as they did prior to dehydrating. But you definitely want to give it the time, temperature, and moisture it needs to properly be reconstituted so our body can enjoy it. Thank you so much. I hope I've given you some really good basic dehydrating tips so that you can benefit greatly from using this as a form of food preservation. It's also the tips I wanted to share. I hope, I hope you have found ways now to um, add uh, some increased shelf life uh, to retain the flavors and the nutritional value. And then obviously the many benefits of having this dehydrated food on hand. So thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to touching base with you again to discuss all things canning essentials. Um, I really want to give everyone a really good uh, checklist. I want you to feel prepared and not overwhelmed when you start diving into the canning season this year. So stay tuned, and uh, I look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com.